Success Insight shares the stories of the people with passion and drive who make things happen in the world. Here's your host, Howard Fox. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Success Insight podcast. Our guest today is Arthur Farrell Coombs III. Now, Art is an author, a dynamic motivational speaker, and leadership guru. Art has vast experience with people and organizations, and this comes through having held numerous executive-level positions, and he is a global expert in a variety of technologies, including contact center operations. And Art brings his decades of global expertise to readers, audiences, and corporations through his visionary and innovative practices. Now, Art is also the best-selling author of Don't Manage, Lead, which was published in 2015, Human Connections, How the L, that's going to be interesting, Do We Do That?, which was published in 2017, and his latest best-selling book, which we're going to get into hopefully very deeply because it's a very interesting subject, which was published in 2020, is Hard Easy, A Get Real Guide for Getting the Life You Want. Art, it's a pleasure to have you on the Success Inside podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, I can imagine, well, you can imagine that you do a lot of these speaking engagements, whether you're on the stage, whether you're in an interview on TV, and or even in the podcast. There is just a lot of things that your interviewers can talk to you about. You've got such a broad base of experience. However, we definitely want to get into your latest book, Hard Easy. but I would love if you could just to provide a little bit of backstory about your background, you know, and how you got to this point in your life where you're just speaking about making hard decisions and making it easy. <laughs> I think it probably is uh, true for a lot of people, but I am who I am because of the failures and the weaknesses that I have in my life. I talk about it quite a bit in Hard Easy. I have severe dyslexia. So for many years, uh, all through elementary school and junior high and high school, I absolved myself. It was self-preservation that I clung to the excuse that I was born this way. And therefore, scholastically, I was going to be mediocre at best. And I just I absolved myself of all that responsibility and just said, well, hey, you know, Howard and everyone else is different from me and I can't read as fast and I can't write as fast. And that affects every aspect of the scholastic world. And so I'm going to just be mediocre and that's the way it's going to be. I was 25 years old and a very, very good friend of mine sort of slapped me around emotionally. Oh boy. Yeah. And there are times in everyone's life when you're in the right place at the right time and your, your heart's open, your mind is open and you're ready to hear truth. And he was an individual who graduated with his bachelor's degree in two years and then went to Harvard and graduated top of his class in Harvard. And he's done amazing things. But we, he was a good friend of mine. And I said to him, I said, you know, you're kind of like my scholastic hero. I really look up to you. I could never accomplish what you've accomplished. And I'll never forget, he pulled that lime green pacer over and I don't know if your viewers are old enough to remember the Pacers, but he pulled that lime green Pacer over on the corner of the, on the side of the road. And he looked at me and he said, Art, your problem is, is you're the victim and you're focusing on your weaknesses, not your strengths. 
And he said, you have so many strengths that I don't have. And we began to talk about that. And that kind of changed my life. I went back to school and in the book, Hard Easy, I talk about 10 commandments that I created for myself. These are for me. Sure. That would ensure that I could be the best student I could be, even with my dyslexia. And I ended up uh, barely graduating from high school to becoming one of the top students in my university and graduating with honors. And I had more than one teacher from my high school call me and say, uh, is this the same Art Coombs that was in my English class? <laughs> I think often successful people and I, how you define success is different for different people. But I think a lot of times they go through great adversity and you have to overcome that adversity to truly accomplish great things. And that leads me to hard easy. I'm a firm, firm believer that you can live your life one of two ways. You can live hard easy or you can live easy hard. It's your choice and it's your life. And what I mean by that is we're all presented with choices every single day. And there's often an easy way to do something. And there's often a hard way to do something. And if we consciously choose hard, sometimes the difficult or the more uncomfortable path, it will naturally lead to easy down the road. And if we choose the easy path, the path of least resistance, the path of apathy, it will often lead to very, very hard things and things that are unpleasant down the road. And I'll give you a couple of real life examples. I talk about it in the book, but my kids, when they were younger and to this day, to a certain extent, they're learning, but they love to come home and watch YouTube or to play Xbox or to play video games with their friends online. And that was a great source of entertainment for my kids. And I get it. You need a break when you get home from school. That's easy. And if that's all you do, you will have to live hard. You know, and I said, you, I know you've got I know you've got homework. I know you've got homework. I said, it's easy to play video games and it's hard to do homework. If you choose easy, I promise you come test time or later down the road, when you go to apply for school, college, if that's what you want to do, you'll have to live hard. If you choose hard up front, you can live easy down the road. The other, the other principle on that, there's a number of principles. I won't get them tomorrow. But when you choose hard up front, you expand your agency and the opportunities that come towards you. When you choose easy up front, you actually contract your agency and what you're free to do. If I choose to get credit cards and there are lots of companies that will send you credit cards with no problem at all. Oh, of course. And, yeah. And you can get a, you can get 2000 limit here and a 5,000 limit there and 10,000 and you can buy clothes and you can be super trendy and the most popular person on campus or whatever it is. But I promise you, those easy choices will lead to very hard consequences as life goes on. You have to pay the piper. So I have a question. As you're describing this, I'm actually thinking of a conversation I had today with one of my career transition clients. Why do individuals gravitate or do you find that do they gravitate to the easy hard? It's natural. Nobody likes to be uncomfortable. It's natural human reaction to avoid pain. I don't like it. I hate it. 
right? So I, I want to, my, my natural DNA, the person inside me wants to avoid pain, but there are some pains that are actually good for us that we actually, as human beings, we thrive on conquering those pains and those fears. Let me give you a, a real life example. Again, uh, I wake up every morning at about 4.30 a.m. And I'm constantly trying to get my kids to come and work out with me or to go to the track or to go to the gym or to do yoga or whatever it is, right? But I wake up at 4.30 and my kids are always saying, dad, oh, we do not want to wake up at 4.30. And they make the statement sometimes they say, it's easy for you, dad, because that's what you want to do. And I tell them, I'm like, guys, I hate waking up at 4.30. I hate it. But when I wake up at 4.30 and I start my day with exercise and it sort of cleanses my emotional psyche and all that, my day goes so much better, so much better. Here's a concept that is so, so true. I pound into my kids all the time. Successful people do what they do, not because they're motivated. They do it when they're not motivated. It's a habit. They act a certain way and they perform and conduct themselves in a way that's habitual, not because they're motivated. That's what separates the successful people from the unsuccessful people. Unsuccessful people think, oh, well, I got to get motivated to do this or I've got to do motivation doesn't mean anything. It's when you're not motivated. That's what really separates people. You know, I'm thinking as you're describing that athletes, you know, world-class athletes. I mean, I couldn't imagine having a, by the way, this conversation you just shared in this example speaks very much to me because I tend to sleep in (laughs) and heaven knows I need to work out. And there's, there's a gym literally right above my head. Right. Heck, I even have an REI right below me for that matter. Uh, so, you know, I need to do more than getting out to the mountain for an hour hike once a week. So thank you again for that. I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. I, I know that, but I just, you know, I just I want to thank you for that. That was that was a gift. So thank you. But, you know, I hear that a lot about with the world class athletes, the baseball players, the Michael Jordans. There's a meme out there about how many times yep. failed. Yep. But because when you're not motivated It's easy to just go back to bed, put covers over your head, et cetera. The difference of somebody who understands if I'm going to be the best, I've got to go out there and commit and hold myself accountable. I totally agree with you. And here's my, here's the problem. I think a lot of our society has is if I can't be the Michael Jordan, then I might as well just give up. A lot of people, you know, again, we only see, so here's another concept about hard, easy, hard, is often done singularly by yourself. We only see the Stephen Curry's or the Michael Jordan's or the Tom Brady's of the world. We only see them on the stage when they're performing inside a short period of time. And we think to ourselves, oh my gosh, wouldn't I be, wouldn't I love to be like that? Mm-hmm. Well, really think about what you're saying. If you really want to be like that, do you understand 
what time Jordan would get into the gym and how many free throws he would make and how many balls he would shoot and how many times he'd dribble late at night and early into the morning when nobody was watching, nobody's in the gym cheering him. That's hard. See, and the great athletes is a great example of hard, easy. That's hard. People don't see hard. All they see is these great athletes that are performing easy and they think, well, they're just gifted. You know, they're just the way they are. No, Michael Phelps, the great swimmer, right? He was gifted physically with this amazing swimmer's physique, but we don't, and we only see him during the Olympics every four years or so, unless you're a swimming aficionado, (laughs) (laughs) but we don't see that hundreds and hundreds and thousands of hours he spends in the pool, pushing himself, pushing himself to become, to eke out the best. So sometimes it's not about me and I, and where I was going with this is sometimes I think we compare ourselves to these great athletes that are very, very public. When in reality, we need to get the, I need to create the best art there is. That's who I need to compare myself to. And if I'm waking up and I'm doing what I know I should be doing, that is, there's a great deal of peace and tranquility in that. There's a great deal of strength that comes from that. And it permeates every aspect of your life. You know, it's interesting is uh, there's a book I recall during grad school based on peak performance. And as someone who's been in the leadership space, you I, I'm sure you've read this. I think Schwartz was the last name, but peak performance, the corporate athlete, so to speak. And the, this analogy was that being a leader inside of a corporation and a senior executive, which you have been, versus, say, the athlete. The athlete, and here's the fallacy, which you just literally put a wedge right into, which I, I appreciate, is we see, and, and the pitch was the corp, the athlete, the Michael Jordans, the Phelps, et cetera, they perform in the moment for whatever it is, 60 minutes or a you know, five-minute swim. But in reality, they're doing the work every day, eight hours a day, five, seven days a week. And so the analogy it was in this book, uh, the cor- corporate athlete, was the leader is has to perform every day. He or she is on every day. But in fact, if you are going to lead, whether you're the, the, the leader inside of an organization or you are the athlete, the world-class athlete, you have to perform. You have to have that discipline. Yeah, you absolutely do. Yeah. And it has to be done. Often it's done. You're during, it's lonely. It's, it's, you have to get into the office early. It's nothing's going to be given to you or at least it's not for me. If I'm going to, I realized really quickly, okay, it's kind of scary. I've never, ever gotten over a C plus average. But when my friend told me that and I said, could I possibly get A's? Is that even possible? I was like, holy smokes, my mind has never even gone there. But once I said, you know what, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to use my strengths. I'm not going to play the game the way this scholastic world wanted me to play it. Because the scholastic world kept telling me I wasn't good enough. The scholastic world kept telling me I was too slow. And if I allow them to dictate and influence my future, I'm doomed. 
I cannot let that happen. So I totally flipped the tables and I was like, okay, now I'm going to play the game I want to play and I'm going to use my strengths. And uh, that totally changed everything about it. I love that. As you had this life-changing event, this conversation with this individual, I mean, we take that instance, that insight, and it, it kind of just gets stored in our brain, our prefrontal cortex somewhere to be used for some other future point in time. When did these insights begin to accumulate to the point that there are these books that need to be written? My message needs to get out there. I was living in Europe, so I graduated very high in my class, and that gave me a great deal of confidence that I could. I knew that I still had dyslexia. I knew that I had still had challenges in writing emails coherently and you know, writing papers and doing reports and stuff like that. I, I understood that. And I would use every tool at my disposal to help offset those types of things. But I was living in Europe and I was running our European operations for another firm. And there was a conference in Paris and they asked me to come down and give a presentation as an American expat living in Europe concerning the Fembach Treaty. And I don't know if you know anything about that, but the Fembach Treaty was the very first moment when European countries decided to unify. So anyway, that was back in 1989, 1990. But I went and gave this presentation and I gave a presentation called Don't Just Manage Lead. That led to, I was a one-hit wonder. I was asked to give that presentation over and over and over again. So in 2000, so that was back in 1990, I gave that presentation and I gave it, gave it, gave it, gave it. In about 2012, I was giving a presentation in Orlando and my kids and I were sitting around the table and we were sort of going through our schedules. And I was saying, okay, hey guys, what do you have? Big reports, you know, let's, let's sort of, we had this calendar we would go over. And my kids are saying, oh, and I told them, I said, I have this conference. I've got to go to an Orlando in October. And my son, who was probably nine at the time, my second son, he said, dad, you always go to these conferences. What do you talk about? And I said, well, I talk about leadership. And he looks at me like only a son can. And he's like, leadership. Like, what would you, what could you possibly say about leadership? <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> and, and I, I was, I was, I would looked at him and I was like, well, if you want the truth, I tell a lot of stories about you. And I tell a lot of stories about your siblings, because I believe that leadership happens in the house as much as it does in the office. Sure. You can't be one way at home and another way at the office. You have to be the same. And he goes, you tell stories about me? And I said, yeah, I do. And I said, I tell you what, you guys have never heard me speak. And so I, I said, why don't you guys come out to Orlando with me? And their siblings, his older siblings were older than him. They were in their late teens, early 20s. And I said, I tell you what, why don't you guys come out? You can hear me speak. And then you guys go to the park go to Disneyland parks and I'll just stay at the conference. So they heard me speak. And after, I, after I spoke, what typically happens is a lot of people come up to me and shake my hand and say, good job, good job. Not everybody, but a few, but often I would have people say, have you ever written a book? 
So now if you, if you, the setting is here, all there's a short line of about 10, 15 people. They're waiting to talk to me. My kids are standing to the side of me and I'm shaking people's hands. And sure enough, somebody comes up and says, Hey, have you ever written a book? You, 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 you really should write a book. And I said, well, and I still had a tinge of that excuse in me. I have dyslexia. You know, it's easier for me to talk than write and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, you know, we understand, but you really should write a book. Anyway, I didn't think anything of it. We went to dinner that night and my eldest daughter said, dad, you're a hypocrite. Wow. I was like, I was like, what? And she said, you talk about being the best version that you can be. And yet you used an excuse. You used your dyslexia still, even when you say you sort of have conquered it you still use dyslexia as an excuse not to be the best you can be. And again, it was one of those moments in life where you're just ready to hear it. And I was like, you know what? She's right. So I sat down and I wrote this book called Don't Just Manage Lead and was fairly successful. And I give a definition in there of leadership and I give a definition of management. They're two different things. And a lot of people get them confused. Management is not leadership. Sure. And leadership is not management. And I'm not dissing management, but I am saying they're different. You manage people differently than you lead people. Sure. One of the characteristics of management is I really don't care about you as a human. I only care about the results and the task getting done. Managers only care about the what, the where, the when, the how, the who. That's all I care about. Leaders focus on the why. If I tell you the why and you buy into the why, you'll figure out the what, the where, the when, the how, the who. You'll figure all that out. In that definition, I talk about leaders connect with their people. Managers don't really connect with their people. Managers manage people. And if you really think about the definition of management, I use you as an asset. You're just a means to an end. I'm focused on the bottom line, the bottom line only. And I really don't care. I'm focused on the P and L leaders. And I passionately believe in this leaders focus on the P and E. Now this is a term I made up P and E is person and empathy. If I focus on you as a person and I'm empathetic with your situation, I promise you I'll maximize my P and L. If I only focus on the P&L, I now treat you as an asset. And if you don't do what I tell you to do, I'll find someone else who will. There's always that veiled threat. So that caused me to write this book called The Human Connection, How the L Do We Do That? And to explain that, there are five L's. I know my mom, when I came out with the book, she goes, are you referring to swearing? (laughs) (laughs) I said, yeah, man, it's sort of a fun pun, but it's okay. But the four L's are laughing, learning, living, loving, and leading. You've got to do those five L's to really connect with people, really connect. There's got to be laughing. There's got to be emotion involved in that interaction. But then that led me to, in, in Don't Just Manage Lead, I have this saying, And I passionately believe this. I've never met anybody who wants to be managed. True. Nobody wants to be managed. Me me managing you says, Howard, I need you to be at work at this time. Don't be late. And I need you to do this X, Y, and Z. 
don't do ABC. I'm telling you to do X, Y, and Z. And this is who you're going to do it with. This is how you're going to do it. And Howard, if you don't do it the way I want you to do it, I've got another person that will come in and do it the way I want it done. Yep. That's managing, right? Leading is, hey, Howard, I want to set up this podcast environment to where we create a really collaborative, casual, leadership-inspiring video. How might that happen? That's a big difference than me managing you and telling you exactly how to make that happen. So nobody ever, I've never met anybody who wants to be managed. Conversely, I've never met anybody who doesn't want to be led. People love real leadership. Right. They love it. Now, here's the challenge. You cannot lead unless you're managing yourself. And that's where hard easy comes in. If you can't manage you, you'll never be able to lead me because you aren't walking the talk. I love the trajectory and I, I, and I really appreciate the comment from your daughter at the conference. Uh, that is, that's absolutely brilliant. I get, I get it all the time. I, I have to be very careful with the slogans I use for clients and for presentations, because when my kids hear them, they come back, Right. they come back. One of my other favorite ones is excuses. Don't change results. I use it all the time. In fact, one of my favorite chapters in hard easy is excuses. You cannot let excuses get you, but my kids will use it all the time. If I'm late when they're, when, you know, they want me to take them somewhere or we're going to go to dinner or we're going to a show and I just happen to be late or whatever. And I'll come on and I'll go, gee, I'm really sorry, but I, I was on this interview with Howard and it ran a little longer than I wanted it to go and blah, blah, blah. They'll say, dad, excuses don't change results. <laughs> and I'll go, oh. <laughs> you know, somewhere in my in my memory bank are a few other uh, uh, gurus, so to speak, who have written books that have, you know, these very important insights. And so I can appreciate what you've just what you've just shared, because you're our kids. Well, I don't have kids. You have kids. But <laughs> I hear this a lot. Um, so I'm curious now with Hard Easy, where does the individual start. I mean, in, in, in listening to some of your uh, work that were available up on the internet, and thank God for that, and on your website, there's a lot of hard, easy conversations we need to have with ourselves. And like, to me, I guess it, matter, it matters where we're at in the moment, because we're all in different places. We all have different choices we need to make. Mm -hmm. uh, you just called out a few minutes ago, health, you get up at 4.30 and go work out. And I actually have health as number one on my show notes here, but there's financial security, there's relationships, peace and fulfillment. It's all sorts of things. How is the book laid out? And when you're inviting the reader to come in and, and consume this book, to gather insights from it, what's the best way for them to kind of engage with you in, in this work? I, it's a great question. I, I think one of the things, and I hear this often when I was writing this book at the end of every chapter, because I know when I read self-help books and I love self-help books, I often would read them and I would, I would get so inspired and I'd go, wow, that's a concept I've never thought of before. And then I'd get so hungry and I'd be like, oh, great. I love that concept. And then I keep reading. And all of a sudden I'm two or three chapters in past. And I'm like, what was that concept that I really thought was so cool? because I'm now down. One of the things I do in this book is I have a section that, that says recap. So I, I recap the chapter 
So I say, okay, this is what I'm going to tell you. Then I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you with stories and hopefully that'll resonate. Then I want to recap it and tell you what I've already told you. I absolutely love that approach. One of my uh, business partners and I wrote a book on LinkedIn. And after each chapter, we said, here's what we want you to, here's, here's the points, here's what we want you to do. Right. And that's the perfect way. Every chapter, here's the recap. Now, what do you think? What are you going to do differently? Yep. Pause and think. That's really, think about it and put it in, put it in application. I, I think, you know, one of the questions you were asking is sort of, okay, how do I start to make these decisions that I know I really should make? I, I think most motivational speakers aren't telling people anything new or revolutionary. I think we're really cheerleaders reminding people of what they already know they should do and trying to help them get excited and say, okay, now's the time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make these changes. But one of the lessons I learned, and I tell the story, the decision is made on the ground, not 14,000 feet in the air. And I tell the story of how I went skydiving. I've been skydiving only once in my life. That's one more than me. But I, <laughs> I went skydiving once and I tell the story in there. But what was fascinating about that, and there are three ways. I went skydiving in California and there were three ways to go skydiving. There was a static line where your parachute is hooked to a cable and you actually jump out at about 4,000 feet and your chute automatically opens. Mm-hmm. Another way is tandem, where you're attached to a dive master and you jump out at about 14,000 feet and you're just along for the ride. The dive master is doing everything. And then there's another way called accelerated free fall. That was a way that you took lessons. The other two, by the way, you take a 15 minute, 15 to 20 minute class for static line and tandem. But accelerated free fall, you took an eight-hour class. And that's where you jump out with a special dive suit and you have two dive masters on either side of you holding you, but you're doing everything. So I'm checking my altimeter, I'm checking and I'm pulling the ripcord, I'm doing everything. The dive masters are just there to make sure everything works properly. But what was fascinating to me about that class is for eight hours, the dive masters kept reminding us the decision to jump is made on the ground, not in the plane. And they went so far as to show us, I mean, every other sentence was the decision to jump is made on the ground, not on the, not in the plane. And if you get in that plane, you are coming out. And they went so far as to show us a video of a man who blacks out. And yet he's going down, the dive masters pull his chute. Now it ends up well, and he's he was fine. But they wanted to reinforce that the decision to jump was made on the ground. And the reason they were doing that is they knew from vast experience that once you get in that plane for a new diver, and I'm no exception, your senses start going into overdrive. This is going to kill me. I shouldn't do this. I'm scared to death. Holy smokes, this is beyond, this is unnatural. Everything about this is wrong and you won't go. And that starts to create lots of problems for all the other divers when you have people freaking out in the plane. And I started to think about this concept. I wake up in the morning 
but I make the decision to wake up in the morning, not in the morning when my alarm goes off. I wake up, I make the decision the night before. I put my clothes out, what I'm going to wear. I consciously make decisions and do physical things that say, yes, Art, I know you're going to want to sleep in. I know you're going to want to turn off that alarm. I know you're going to want to hit snooze. But I'm going to make conscious decisions on what I make my pre-work drink out, which is full of tons of caffeine. (laughs) I lay my toothbrush out. I make conscious decisions to do what I'm supposed to do. So if, if you, if you, if people want to wake up and meditate or write in a journal, lay your journal out right on your bedstand, make a conscious decision to say, okay, I'm going to do this in the morning. Don't, don't say, well, you know, I, I want to write my journal in the morning and I know I should, it's good for, you know, mental and emotional health. And, but we'll see how I feel in the morning. If that's the way you do it, you'll, you'll never do it. My parents, my parents used to tell me as a young man, you make the decision before you go to the party that you're not going to do drugs or you're not going to drink alcohol because they knew full well, if I waited until I got to the party, that cute cheerleader with a red cup in her hand, smiling at me, my will would instantly melt. Right. I can't do that. Here's another, here's another little metaphor I like to use. And that is, is think of your cell phone. Your willpower is very much like the power on your cell phone. Now, for most of us, we power our cell phones at night. So when we wake up, we have a full battery. Now, the more you use the cell phone throughout the day, that battery drains The more decisions you make during the day, your willpower drains. That's why we make most of our stupid, stupid decisions late at night. That's when you get in trouble with gambling or or inappropriate relationships or staying out too late or whatever it is you're doing. Often it's done at night where your willpower is its weakest. You know, I, I... As a coach, one of the uh, a technique I use with clients, especially when they want to accomplish the goal, and you know, some some folks will start, you know, the, a process flow. Here's the first thing I do, and the next thing I do, and the next thing I do. I actually love, you know, this is these aren't my unique words, but it's begin with the end in mind. Totally, I love it. Yeah. So, I, Stephen Covey. Yeah. And then we can start to dissect, okay, what happens before that? And what, what are you going to do before that? Totally. And, and so whether your path to consume the book is a health-related path, and by the way, okay, where are my workout clothes? Where's my gym shoes, my socks? <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to be, uh, you're going to be my accountability partner. You didn't realize that showing up here today. I love it. Um, but it's so important. So whatever, wherever you are, I mean, I, I, uh, Many of my clients work in call centers, and I know you have a lot of experience there. And you know, some it's you used an example in in the book with your son uh, going to the Walmart. Mm. Being on the phones is hard work. It's not totally. some some of us love doing it. I always looked at it as a challenge. How quickly can I get the customer, the caller, to do what needed to be done? Mm. Uh, mm. In my case, they were parking tickets. You got to pay them, or else we're going to take your your car. Right. Uh, but 
folks don't like to be on the call on the call center I and mean, they like other things that they can do say okay so what are your skills and your expertise what are you getting out of this then you know so if they say you know i want a new career i want to be a manager i want a leader i want to be a floor supervisor okay what are the things that you're going to do to accomplish that I, I love it. I, I've worked in, like you said, I've worked in lots of call centers. I've been responsible for lots of agents. And I would tell people all the time, again, one of my, my dad has a saying, he would say, Art, if you want to marry a queen, first become the king. Now, what's he saying? What's he really saying? Develop the attributes and the characteristics of a prince or a king, because that's going to attract the characteristics and attributes of a queen. We're a princess. In the call center world, I totally get it. A lot of people are like, how do I get off the phone? I don't want to do this. I want to be a manager. I want to be an account manager. I want to go into IT. I want to go into marketing. If you want to be an account manager or if you want to be a call center manager, first become the call center manager. So what I would tell people, and this is what I would do. When I was, I was just like there too. I started in the call center industry and I started looking around and I was like, hmm, I think I really would rather be doing what my supervisor is doing. And so I listened to my dad. If I want to become a king, if I want to marry a queen, first become the king. So I went to my supervisor and I said, hey, tell me what, I see you going to meetings. I see you doing these reports. Can I help you with those? I'll do it on my own time, but can I help you with those? And he would say, sure, you can help me. So I was behind the scenes doing his reports. I was behind the scenes becoming the supervisor before I was the supervisor. And guess what? Sure enough, either he was promoted or went to another job or whatever. But all of a sudden, there's this vacancy. Well, who would be the natural person to take over that spot? Right the person who's already doing it behind the scenes. And that was, that's, it's just sort of natural way it happened. So I, I love talking to people on call centers because I'm like, Hey, I worked in this life. I get it. I want you to be the best version of you. You can be. So I'll, I'll give you another really quick tidbit here. And I know I'm running over time, but I'll give you another little tidbit. <laughs> there are three levels of motivation in life. I have to. When you say I have to go to work or I have to do this or I have to do that, I have to go cut the lawn. I have to pay taxes. I have to. What you're really saying is I'm a slave. I have no choice. I'm just, I'm just a slave to whatever it is that's controlling me. That's the lowest and most base form of motivation. It's not going to drive any kind of happiness or self-fulfillment or dignity. The next level of motivation is I ought to. And it's a slightly higher level, elevated level of motivation. But you're still doing it a little bit begrudgingly. I ought to go to work. I ought to do this. The highest level of motivation is I want to. I want to, I want to wake up. I want to go to work. I want to go out and cut the lawn. That is where 
successful, happy people live their lives in the I want to space. I tell people all the time in the call center business, if you don't want to be here, if you don't want relish coming in, you either have to change your environment so it isn't I want to and get a different perspective or you have to change the entire environment itself. Right. Go. Life is too short. Life is way too short. And a lot of people, in my, when I give presentations on that, they'll say, well, Art, you know, that's, that's, you know, you're looking through rose-colored glasses. That's Pollyannish because life isn't really that way. You have to pay taxes. Nobody I know wants to pay taxes. And I'm like, really? Is that really the case? I said, let's just stop and think about that for a second. What would be the consequences of you not paying your taxes? I mean, you don't want to do it, right? So let's, <laughs> let's not do it this year. What do you think will happen? What do you think will happen if you if you let that go for two or three, four years? You think the IRS is just going to sit back and say, oh, well, Howard didn't want to pay his taxes. Okay. <laughs> no, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. So the consequences of not paying your taxes actually create an environment where you want to pay your taxes. Works the same way. And I, and I tell people in, in the call center business, you know, live your life in an I want to space. Wake up every morning excited. Wake up every morning with intention, with passion, with purpose, and go out there and live the best version you can live. That's the best advice you can give. I mean, that's that's why we coaches, uh, in at least my space, even in the leadership mentoring space that you probably play in. I mean, that that's... Uh, I mean, those are conversations we relish having with our with our clients. I love it. I, I have one question uh, before we head out for you. It's not so much of a gotcha question, but if it is, it's my show. I get to ask it. Got it. Gotcha. When you me, look back at what you've accomplished from this, you know, you 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 had uh, the condition with of dyslexia that that came with it, certain uh, realities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have accomplished a lot. And you look back and you have, you know, I've got lovely family, you're living in Utah, three best-selling books, et cetera, et cetera. What's the biggest aha for you as you look back and this this path? I mean, it's been a winding path. Their careers are never straight lines, but it's a winding path. As you look back, what's your insight? Um, I, I think some of the biggest, there are many ahas, and I've shared a few of them, but some of the biggest ahas are there are always going to be people that tell you you can't do it. And the scariest one is yourself. Psychologists will tell you that you listen to you 10 times more than you listen to anyone else. What I mean by that is you're talking to yourself mentally all the time. Here's the sad reality. Psychologists will also tell you that seven out of 10 times, most of what you tell yourself is that you're not enough. Right. That limiting belief. It's that limiting belief. And in that, you actually create this prison mm-hmm. that you live in, that you grow comfortable in, because that's your belief. And I clung to that. I can't tell you, I'll get emotional here. I can't tell you how imprisoning that was for me. That I'm mediocre. And other people would reinforce it in so many ways. And I allowed that. Mm -hmm. Once you break through that, 
And once you focus on your strengths and once you say, you know what, to hell with that, I am not going to let me or anybody else stop me. I'm going to start laying out. And here's a big mistake. Don't try to let the pendulum swing all the way to the other side. You're not going to go out and run a marathon tomorrow. Do small things. Habitually do small things. And I promise your confidence will grow and your motivation will grow. Your enthusiasm will grow. The I want to will grow. The passion will grow. Do small, make those small micro decisions every single day. And uh, I promise you can turn your life for those out there that want to turn their life around. And we all, me included, I have so many things I still want to accomplish and still want to do. And I have to make conscious micro decisions every day to drive me in that direction. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that. So Art, uh, gee, I said this was going to be about a 30, 40 minute podcast. We have gone well past that. So, but Hey, you know, you can edit it down. <laughs> no, no. We're, I, I, I try to keep as much as I can. And, because my, my editors look at me, Howard, what did you just do? Uh, so this has been a, you know, knock on wood, this has been a good seamless podcast. So invaluable, insightful materials. If our listeners, Art, would like to learn more about you and your work, where are the best places for them to go? Um, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, um, on LinkedIn. Uh, my books are available on Amazon. Just go and look up either Arthur Furl Coombs III or Arthur F. Coombs III. Or you can even just type in Art Coombs. If you just type in Art Coombs, I'm in, I've got a, a website, artcoombs.com. On Instagram, it's Arthur F. Coombs. But you can find me. Okay. Fantastic. Well, we will definitely provide the backlinks to the website, artcoombs.com, as well as the uh, social sites. You literally are everywhere, so that's a good thing. <laughs> Art, it's been an absolute pleasure to... Uh, get to know you and I've thoroughly enjoyed today's conversation. I hope uh, you enjoyed it as well. And really, we wish you much good fortune and uh, future with your work. And then you're definitely, you know, out there, but I totally appreciate that as a coach myself, making a difference in people's lives and through your, through your work. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. All right, folks, we have just been chatting with Arthur F. Coombs III, otherwise known as Art. He is an author. And as you probably have figured out just through this conversation today, a very dynamic and motivating speaker is also a leadership guru and just, you know, his experience with people and organizations and really it comes through in the stories he's sharing and how we go from being not just a manager to a leader, the importance of that human connection. And really, I know this is not even the peak. There's probably another peak after this, but through his current book, uh, Hard Easy, A Get Real Guide for Getting the Life You Want. So many important insights from the book. We do hope you go out and get yourself a copy. Of course, we're going to provide uh, backlinks to that book and to his other two best-selling books on Amazon as well. So folks, uh, wherever, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, go out there, have a phenomenal day. If you visit our website, successinsightpodcast.com, you know, let us know what you thought about this episode. Give us a comment, share it with your friends. You can visit us on Facebook and on LinkedIn on our Success Insight Podcast pages. And of course, the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, 
iHeartRadio, Spotify, etc. Once again, go out there, have a phenomenal day. Take care of yourselves, your family, practice social distancing, wear your mask. And I hope your 2021 is full of gratitude and grace and can make a difference in people's lives. Okay, we'll see you on the next episode of the Success Insight Podcast. Take care now. Success Insight is a production of Fox Coaching and First Story Strategies. Find us online, successinsightpodcast.com.